This is the Image Junkies Podcast, the show for news and documentary filmmakers, with your host, Christian Parkinson. Hey guys, how are you? Welcome to the first ever Image Junkies Podcast. This is a show that explores the world of news and documentary filmmakers, digital video producers, mojos and video editors. I'm Christian Parkinson and I've been a cameraman and video journalist and digital video producer since 2002 when I first started in local cable news. I'm author of the book Camera Confidential, a guide for video journalists, which is available on Amazon, and I run the website imagejunkies.net. My work in the Congo has won the David Bloom Award presented by President Obama and has been shortlisted for an international Emmy. I love making news and documentary films, and I'm hoping that through this podcast I can share my passion with you, interview loads of great people, and learn some new skills along the way. In today's podcast, I'm talking with US filmmaker Dylan Roberts about his groundbreaking 360 videos shot in Iraq in the heat of battle. It's an inspiring interview, and it's made me desperate to pitch my own 360 films. So Dylan, who are you? Where are you and what are you doing? Yeah, um, I'm from Texas, originally Austin. I'm currently based in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and uh, where my wife is from. Um, and I'm a journalist and have a, a video production company called Freelance Society. Uh, my business partner is based in London, and a lot of our projects that we've done have been through our production company called Freelance, and we try to work with other freelancers and other journalists and we take pride in trying to helping that business grow. What is Freelance Society? Because I remember when you were first setting it up and you and I spoke about it. What's, you know, what's the sort of the basis of it? What are you, what are you doing with that company? Yeah, so uh, instead of, um, of we, we, I kind of started as a freelancer just on my own um, and then we met, I met my business partner Christian in the 2012 He's got a great name, your business partner. Lovely name. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, uh, and so we we're, we we definitely operate as a like a multimedia company, uh, really specializing on the news and doc style. And we do a lot of uh, nonprofit type work too. Um, that's more like promotional material. Um, but majority of our work. Uh, and our background has been complex countries, uh, complex zones, or natural disaster type countries. Um, and we spent a good, both of our careers, spent a good time traveling. Um, each one of us, I think we're up to uh, 40 countries each that we travel to, and we're still very young and still learning. Um, and we developed kind of this network, and now when we get hired, a lot of the times we'll try to facilitate that news or NGO and say, hey, we have people located in the Middle East or London that can operate in Africa and Middle East, or on this side, we can operate out of South America. So yeah, we try to focus on not so much on breaking news, but if it is breaking, we try to take our time with that story. But yeah, that's kind of a little bit what we do. 
And I know you've uh, worked extensively in Iraq over the last few years. How did that come about? I mean, you know, going back to when you first went there, how did your relationship with Iraq and working there come about and how's it developed? Yeah, I I think when when I first emailed you, um, I was either went there for the first time or I was going there. And that was in 2009, um, between 2009 and 2010. And I just went, it was one of my first kind of at, at that time it was uh, iraq was relatively safe um even in baghdad area um and then we would do a lot of stuff in the kurdish area um and so i just kind of saved up money and just went and just focused on making good stories and making good artwork and talking to uh guys like you and other journalists like kevin sites who did into the hot zones uh, for yahoo and uh, connected with guys like yourself, Sebastian Junger, who did Restrepo, um, and really and really learned um, how to get stories before you get to, and research and properly prepare yourself. And so I did a lot of stuff with some NGOs um, in the beginning, just to get there. I say, hey, I'll do a project if you house me for a week, and then allow myself to work um, on other projects. Um, and then from on, I just kept building good relationships there and kept, kept going. And I think I've been to Iraq now close to over close to 15 times, uh, this year alone. Um, I've been, I think four times and then, yeah, ever since, um, both in Baghdad, I, last time I was in Baghdad was in 2013 for Vice Media. We did a documentary called Andrew White and the, the Vicar of Baghdad. And which I probably shared with you, the rough cut. You did, yeah, yeah. I remember, Um, it was good. He's a very interesting guy. He is very interesting. Um, And yeah, that was great. Christian came into play with that one. He had the access for that story. um, And I was able to pitch it to Vice. So, uh, and then from there, we just kept developing relationships with Iraq um, and in areas like Syria. And... We just continue to find stories and pitching stories. And now in Iraq, I have great local partners. Um, I share an office with a local NGO um, and I'm able to go there to where my expenses are not very high and I can stay in, in different friends' place and can operate um, with locals. And like, I do have fixers there, but I don't call them fixers. I, they're more just really close friends and um, which I save a lot of money because I help them uh, on different stuff that they are, you know, help them on their English or education or computer skills. In return, they give me some of the best access. So I really treat them as just friends. Um, and Iraq has been a really special place for me. It's almost like a second home for me now. So. And how have you seen the country change since you first went? What changes have you seen? Both both on a personal level, but also in terms of working, you know, yeah. has it got more difficult, for example? Yeah, um, as far as the country, immediately when the U.S. Uh, left Iraq, um, which you could argue um, many different things, if it was too soon or too early, I don't, I think that answer, no one could really know. Um, but once they immediately, once they left, it was, Iraq as a country just went, really crazy. The Kurdish side was still fine. And then obviously you see the rise of ISIS that came. Um, and if the U S or coalition wasn't 
if they didn't start bombing, I would have believed ISIS would have controlled all of Iraq, even Kurdistan. Like the the Pesh are great fighters and they can hold their own, um, but they would I believed Erbil, um, De Hook, a lot of these big places, which the referendum is going on. Um, I think all that area would have been controlled by ISIS if it wasn't for U.S. coalition airstriking, which put a pause yeah. into it. And then you saw gradually just taking back. So there was obviously, um, even before going, you heard rumors of something was going to happen. Even in 2013, before ISIS kind of launched, you would hear about this group. Um, and it's been around for a while. They just had the opportunity to just, you know, go when they're very strategic and smart smart warriors um and they have nothing to lose so when you're finding an enemy like that um and then for coverage it, it is pretty difficult I, you do see a lot of young journalists like myself but even journalists who've never even traveled before are going because iraq is an interesting place where you can fly into erbil and you're in that city and one of the safest places you can be you can walk at 3 a.m in certain areas and no problem and then you drive about an hour and a half to Mosul and you can be in a, so it's a very uh, interesting place to where you can fly in and then you know where the conflict is going to be. Um, so and now I, I see it getting better, but it's, the Iraq currently is very fragile and you have a lot of different parties, even within the Kurdish side, um, all trying to get along and not even, that's not even talking about the Kurdish and the, the Iraqi government. So I hopefully see peace, but um, I don't know. I think we got a few years before everything is solved there. Um, and this is what ISIS wants. They want their attention away, and um, they're very smart, very smart fighters. Some of the smartest. I've never seen tactics like that in my life before. Very, very in inventive of uh, insurgency now. I, I would say they're insurgency now. What sort of things have you seen that have really surprised you? Yeah, there, um, one, one for instance, where we're, uh, it was on, let's see, I want to say February, uh, uh, we were on the west side of Mosul, and we were just getting into the city, and I had a really good uh, friend that has very good relationships with the federal police, Iraqi federal police, which is very hard to get it, uh, in bed with them. Most journalists and NGO workers are with ISOF, which is the U.S.-trained Iraqi Special Forces. Um, federal police is, um, they're more laid back on their tactics. Um, they're still very, they're very strong fighters and they're willing, but their tactics, uh, not wearing body armor, helmets, first aid kits, that kind of stuff. Um, whereas the ISOF guys, they're full tactical helmets, all trained in medical. Um, but as for the presumably fire, ISOF is Iraqi Special Operations Forces. Yes, is it? yes. Is that the that's where for? most journalists um, and news companies go with. Um, you can go with FedPol, and there has been journalists with them, but getting the right kind of access, where um, I haven't really seen too much coverage of that. So we were with them and. Uh, we're in this near this medical and mortars to start coming down bam bam and uh, there was this older man who was a civilian and if you see a civilian at that point you're kind of like okay what's in he was probably like 65 67 and so they 
the they, the Iraqi uh, military busted his door and they see that the, he had carrier pigeons all of inside his house. So he was using his phone, getting coordinates, writing the coordinates on a piece of paper, tying it to these pigeons and sending it to the mortar morticians. Uh, old school. Old school battle, very effective. And yeah. so you would see tactics like that. You would see um, very creative uh, IEDs. Um, and inside the old city, which is like the very close quarters, there's you can hardly even drive a car through it, let alone a Humvee. So it's very close quarters combat. And um, that was some of the most intense fighting I've ever seen. Um, when, when exactly was this? Was this, this was um, in, this was in uh, July. So July. it was early July. And I think I sent you some of the footage at that time. Yeah. And it was early July and literally each building uh, could be your last building as you're stepping in. And so VR filming, you got this big VR camera, which I'll send you a photo of the ones that we use. Yeah. And you're kind of in the middle of nowhere. You have blinking lights. So it's not really a covert type of camera. <laughs> and I'm sure the police loved you walking along with a 360 camera yeah, blinking away. Yeah. Most of the Iraqi militaries thought it was some kind of um, I think a lot of them didn't think I was a journalist. I think a lot of them thought maybe I was some kind of U.S. advisor or something like that. Because it does look like like an intel, like they've never seen anything like that. Which has been kind of effective for me because the whole access, why me filming like um, uh, a captured ISIS prisoner um, in 360 and just filming general footage where um, they have no idea that it's recording or not has been actually a lot easier uh, to film in a lot of ways, simply because they don't really know what the camera is or what it what it does, instead of like having a big camera and they know exactly what that does. Um, but yeah, as for tactics, they were very, ISIS has, was very smart, um, underground tunnels, um, forcing the Iraqi military to go a direction by closing off certain roads, so bottleneck them. Um, you would have, in one instance, we're inside a house and the federal police were sledgehammering through uh, walls just to get to other houses. So that was really the only way for them to get around was almost sledgehammering through all the houses. So, yeah, it was very intense fighting those days. Well, let's let's sort of take a step back. I mean, you just sort of spoke briefly about the, the VR sort of 360 yeah. equipment you were using. Um, what made you decide to, to go that route? Cause, I mean, I, I've not yeah. heard of many people filming with 360 cameras in, in war zones. What, yeah. what made you decide to do that? And, and you know, what was the thought process? Yeah, I, I would say I'm proud to say that um, our company has been one of the first, and I would say still, you know, one of the first war zone filmmakers in 360. And we started doing stuff for Riot News, which then now they're called Riot, which was bought by Huffington Post. I want to say AOL, and now there's something different. Um, um, I think it's called Oath, but is like a is Verizon AOL. Um, and so we were with them before that. And Christian uh, Stephen, who's my business partner, um, we wanted to do the first war zone film inside uh, a VR war zone film uh, inside Syria so we helped on the logistics side and he went and filmed inside Aleppo I believe for two days 
uh, the streets of Aleppo, uh, and this was in 2000, towards the end of 2015, and and yeah, he came back with incredible peace, and then um, he has a crazy story, which you should interview him about him. He had the, he was captured by the Turkish intelligence after that, and was in prison for like three nights, and that whole deal trying to get him out was crazy. And so he launched us off. He did an amazing job. Uh, one of our good friends uh, was the one that helped us get all the access um, inside Aleppo and everything. And and so from there on, we started doing a lot of 360 projects. Um, and I would say that's probably right now is what we've been doing the most. And it's good and it's, it's, it's still very um, labor intensive for professional VR. Um, there are cameras like, I would say if you wanted to first start out getting into VR, uh, the Garmin Verb 360 is great. You can even do some professional shoots on it if you wanted to, um, but it is really small, so it depends what your client wants to look like. That's more of a professional shoot. Um, so we really so, just, so. yeah, yeah. So we really just kind of just took off with it. We were just like, yeah, sure, let's do it. Um, yeah. and it just kept being a rolling effect and, um, we're now have produced probably close to 20 to 25 pieces of VR and we have four projects, um, in all in VR for Iraq this coming year. So yeah, we've been doing a lot of virtual reality stuff and I would say we do 360 video. 360 video. So yeah, so. cause VR, there's a bit of a difference, isn't it? Do you want to just spell out for people what, what the difference is? Cause I think a lot of people can't, aren't really aware of the difference between VR sure. and 360. Yeah. So what we really do is 360 video, which is live action video. Um, and virtual reality is kind of like the overarching effect, but there's a lot of different things that go into play. I would say VR is more, um, VR is a term that you could just throw if people are just starting to get it, but specifically we do 360 video. Uh, and then you have augmentative reality, which is um, almost physical elements and, and you can see, interact with it right in front of you. Um, so this technology is constantly changing and even 360 video, excuse me, is gonna be vastly different. I think you're gonna start seeing uh, 360 video where you can actually interact in live action saying as it's going you want to look at different angles all at the same time I think you're going to start seeing that in sports first and then see it just because of the technology so imagine watching a soccer match or a football match and um, you have live 360 and you can actually place yourself in different areas um, so it wants to be untethered so the headset technology really needs to get better before more consumers start watching it because most people watch it on Facebook and YouTube, which is not really the way you want to consume 360 video. So, so I still, well, think by the time you scroll around, you've usually missed yeah, whatever it is exactly. you were meant to see. Exactly. So I would say it was kind of in the beginning, it was like the cool and, um, you didn't see really that too much good content on it mainly because you had to keep it simple because most people were consuming it on Facebook and YouTube. And so most people don't have VR headsets and, and Apple doesn't have a headset yet. There are some third party headsets for it, but it's not that good. So there's still, there's quite a few years before I would say, um, 
uh, at least for 360 videos for the journalism, it should really get going. Um, but it is here and it should be taken seriously for journalists to really start thinking about doing it. And I think it's great for freelance journalists because it provides another way. Um, New York Times does a great job. I would say they're probably the best ones pumping out content and getting journalists to, you know, really try it out. I mean, would you would you say then if people are listening to this, especially freelancers, that there is a market, you know, that people are buying? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there, there are, I, I would say platforms are still trying to figure out. I would say the Times, New York Times is really far ahead when it comes to um, the news world as figuring out how to monetizing it, how to shoot it, the correct workflow uh, for freelancers. You can ease their, their post, their putting out 360 videos every single day. So, and the budgets for 360 videos, since it's still relatively new, um, are higher than I would say, than the traditional photos or, you know, shooting video. So I would say for freelancers shooting 360 video, they should look into it because it's just another way, you know, it's hard to just do photos and it's hard to just to do video. So you have to keep, I have to learn all this on my own just to, I, you know, make money in the day. What what kit are you using then? What do you what have you evolved your kit to now? Yeah, so here's the this is the Garmin Verb 360. So it's a two. So I would say the best pro and cameras are just coming out just in DLSR cameras in general. I feel like there's a new camera every you know three months, and with 360 videos, it's not even more. So I would say the Garmin 360 Verb has been pretty great uh, this is water resistant and it can go underwater and it shoots 5.7k footage uh, it can do 4k self-stitch all on the app on your iphone so i would say if um, journalists want to get into 360 i would say this is the camera to do it um, so this has been great for running gun situations and other camera is the Samsung Gear VR, which is great for run and gun. Um, that's the only camera really that the New York Times daily 360 video uses. Now for professional shoots and the cameras that I usually shoot on, um, Garmin has been great for really tight spaces and really run and gun. But even like in Mosul, I shot on a camera called the Zcam S1 which is a professional virtual reality camera. And it's about this big. It's about, probably about, with the battery on it, it's a, probably close to 10 inches. Without it, it's about six inches. And that's a four lens. Um, that's great. The picture quality is amazing. Um, and VR is all about shooting high def. Even 4K, you almost want to shoot it in 6K and then downgrade it to 4K, especially on a VR headset. If your main video is targeted for YouTube and Facebook, you can get away with just 4K, or even maybe just a step below. So I would say the Zcam S1 has been our main camera choice, uh, which is a four lens, and it's made, it's a camera um, company out of Hong Kong, um, and they have a great, uh, community support system um, you can literally facebook message this facebook group and they'll answer any questions that you have so they've been really fantastic and then the other one obviously is the gopro omni which is gopro's is um, six cam rig 
Um, that's great for environments, landscape. Uh, the software that you use is called Color, and it's very um, friendly with that software. Um, that's a little bit more on the expensive side, but it's still a great camera. Um, there's not like a true one VR camera, which makes it very frustrating. Each camera does something really well. One might not shoot well. I would say the Omni doesn't shoot that well in low light. Zcam shoots really great in low light and overall, but the software on the post side is still a little bit more difficult because Zcam is not like a GoPro or a Garmin where they have software is still relatively new uh, company. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I, I would say if you're looking to get really into VR on a professional scale, I think the Z camera is great. Uh, for journalists and freelancers, I would either get the, the Samsung Gear VR a camera or uh, most likely I would get the Garmin Verb 360, which is about 800 US dollars. Okay. I've, I've currently got um, one that was given to me um, that I don't know how you pronounce it. Tata S or Theta? Yeah. Uh, Theta. Yeah, it is. The quality is not. It was one of the first ones and we did a lot of that in 2015 um, mm. just because there wasn't really any other camera. And at that time you would have to take six GoPros, put them in yeah. a and then you have to individually hit record on all of them and then remember to clap and sync it. And yeah. imagine doing this all in, especially in a conflict zone environment, you know, you know how GoPros are one, you have to like take the battery out just to unfreeze it. So imagine oh. one of them unscrewing it all, take the battery, put it back in and reformat the settings. So yeah. now cameras now is, is much better. You have uh, like the GoPro Omni now has, all is all synchronized so you don't have to worry about clapping or anything like that oh, yeah but there is a new theta coming out that's going to be similar to like the garmin verb um okay yeah yeah well i mean i need to practice with it more but i'm, I'm tempted to go for one of the ones you've been talking about maybe the garmin um yeah. but i mean mo moving on then tell us a bit more about the the project you've been working on in Mosul. I know uh, you sent me a rough cut of some stuff you've been doing and it looked amazing. What, what, what exactly is the project and when will people be able to see it? Yeah, so one of the, what we really wanted to focus on um, was what would be a long format VR documentary. Uh, I think right now you see VR content or 360 content they shoot it and they really want to post it to be the first or, you know, and I think we came up with the idea of let's really take our time with this 360 project. And a lot of times that we went to Iraq was for other shoots and then we would take three or four days and go back what we really want to get in 360. And that's kind of how we, so we did that for over a year. So we literally have footage from before the Mosul operation, um, all the way up to the liberation of Mosul and after and now post Mosul. Um, and, and at first we were just going to tell this story as a narrative, just the, what the battle for Iraq was going through. But what we notice is myself and my business partner, Christian, we're in the, we're in the videos so much of it, mainly because it's just a complex, so imagine setting up a camera in a conflict zone and trying to hide from the camera, which is impossible. So, yeah. um, 
so we're really we're in the shots and what you see you get R you get a really a reaction of what journalists goes through in conflict zones and not just the firefights or the or you know the close calls but even the interviewing of hurt victims and interviewing you know seeing things and you get your reaction that you don't really notice until you look back on it so i think is like there's far more experienced war journalists than Christian and I. We've been probably doing it since when I was in college and now, so I'm 28 now. So fairly good, but you do kind of see um, intake of what young war journalists go through. Um, and I think we want to tell the story of Iraq, which generally as journalists, you try not to put yourself in the story. But this is so different because you're physically in the story and you get your reaction. So that's why we're calling it War Life, um, and it's about the battle for Iraq through a war journalist's eyes. And do you know what platforms that might be running on yet, or is it still too early to, to yeah. say? We're, we're currently in talks with a few platforms, um, and we're kind of deciding if we want to go through the film festival route, where we create the film and have sponsors, um, or we just partner with a platform a news platform to just go ahead and take the piece. So we're kind of in discussions right now, um, what we're doing, but we'll all do official release of the trailer and about the film probably uh, end of this month. So yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Well, keep us posted. Um, and then just quickly then on that point, what were the main issues you found? I mean, we've touched on some already, but shooting 360 in such yeah. a, such a terrifying environment. Um, you know, what advice would you have for people who maybe want to do something similar? Yeah, I think the natural, first of all, is all about the story. I think the natural reaction for people is shooting 360 the first time is just going out there and just putting the camera in the, you know, in a, in a cool area or extreme area, which, you know, if you get the right scene, yeah, you can, you can probably get that sold. Um, but I think the initial, that's the initial reaction is people will just want to go take the camera into a really cool place and kind of forget what the story is. So I think you really have to figure out what your story needs to be, um, even like who you're going to interview and if you're following a medic uh, inside, like Halloween is about to start. So I would love to do a story on this U.S. volunteer medic um, that's going into Halloween and so it'll be a 360 process of um, from Erbil all the way how he gets to the front line and what his work is. Um, so it would be no different than getting a story how you set it up in a 2D environment. Um, and so I would say the difficulty part is obviously uh, the filming. You really have to be aware. So if I'm talking to you in person and, I'm, and I put the camera about you know a foot away, you know, me talking to you my face about closest foot away is going to look really weird in person. Well, that's going to look really weird on in a 360 environment. So being aware how to compose your shots, which is different because it's, there is no like framing. Um, but there is framing though. You really have to frame up the environment and, and you have to capture the environment. Um, and then post-production is, you know, you have to remember a lot of things, the settings and the audio and um, it just and now cameras are getting a lot easier. So it's going to solve a lot of those questions. Um, 
And so just don't rush into it. Don't buy all this equipment. Make sure you have the right story. And I would pitch the story first before just go out and buying equipment and go and go film because that's a lot of that's a lot of money to spend, especially for freelance journalists. And again, you touched on it briefly, but how did you find people responded to you with that camera? Because I imagine most people are a bit confused um, what you're doing. I mean, did you did you find you had to explain yourself a lot more shooting 360? Yeah, um, absolutely. I think everyone knows now in the world what ideals are or, you know, photos are. I think especially in Nepal when we filmed a, a post-earthquake Nepal on children going to school, how like 90% of the schools in Nepal were wiped out and how children are going to school now. And so setting up those VR cameras, it was hard to get the, like, the natural shot of the environment because so many people just want to go up to the camera and just like take photos of it or get really close to it. And those in that project, we had to get out of the shot. So you don't really know what you're getting until you actually go into post, which that's the really scary thing about VR is you don't really know what you shot until you get into post-production. Um, because you're, especially if you're getting out of the shots, cause there's still not really like a, there's some viewfinder setups, but only very, very professional high grade cameras like the jaunt VR. You can probably do that. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, um, and remind me the other question again, I forgot. Well, it's just sort of how people respond to you really. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So like in Iraq, a lot of the soldiers, um, I would tell them, yeah, it goes like this. And they're like, oh, okay. And, um, but they really didn't have a problem with it. I think it was because I'm not, it's so different, you know, taking photos of someone's face or, you know, it's almost yeah. less intrusive because you're just there recording. Um, that's what I would find that instead of just taking photos, you know, hundreds of photographers, you know, taking photos of one thing, this is maybe a less intrusive for people and they don't yeah. mind it as much. I mean, I guess, uh, interestingly, I hadn't really thought about this before, but I guess 360 video, no one can accuse you of fake news or staging shots if you've got 360 video because you can't hide anything. It's all there. Exactly. That's actually why I love everything. Like, there's a lot of difficult things about it. and But I, what I love, it's very hard to overhype something. So much in our field especially in Iraq where I always have to try to, I know for a fact like this photo was not taking the Mosul, but it was like a village like 50 minutes out and they're saying that we're in Mosul. And I'm like, no, it's not. So I think VR 360 just really solves a lot of that problems is you, is what you, you film what you get. So that's kind of what I really appreciate about it. It's almost true, almost true storytelling in a way. Yeah. And I mean, we should probably wrap up shortly because um, I've kept you long enough. But just finally, what's what's next for you and for the company? What are your what are your future plans now? What projects are coming up and how do you hope to, to grow the business? Yeah, I, we have a few VR films. So one is War Life um, that we're doing the documentary on. We have another VR film uh, about the Sun Ladies, about the Yazidi women who are, uh, who've been defending themselves. And we... Christian and I worked with uh, the actress Maria Bello, and then we brought on uh, the DP Celine Tricart, who's one of the best virtual reality DPs. She's been doing VR longer than anyone professionally. Um, 
it was their first time doing a project in Iraq. So Christian and I, Christian was a director. I did more of the access and the coordination on the ground. Um, so I'm really excited for that one. That's going to go in the film festival uh, route. And as for FS, I think we want to get into um, um, OTT content. Uh, we are we've been we've been exploring about um, doing a type of news platform that's all the content created by freelance journalists and we want to put it on a like a Netflix or a Hulu or a subscription-based model and we've been actually exploring that to see if what that's going to be but we want to make our own content we've been enjoying um, filming content for other news platforms and we continue we want to do that but I think now I think the chance of making your own content and making money off of it has been it's i think people should really start looking into that i think journalists should start looking into that is owning their own stories and taking some time to see how can you make a revenue stream out of it so i think that's kind of what we would like to focus on we're journalists in general we've always been very bad uh we're good journalists bad businessmen so i i hope uh I hope you're able to 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 That's be good at both. Yeah, I would love to put journalists in front of the, you know, from the big platforms because they have stories and they shouldn't sell it, you know, so shortly or for low pay grade. I think uh, yeah, yeah, it just takes some time. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, really, you know, I don't want to go too off topic here, but our our industry does need to develop and change and grow. You know, the the classic TV news piece with you know piece you know reporter piece to camera and. Yeah. And two clips and a voiceover is just horrific and needs to die sooner rather than later. So the more guys like yourself out there doing this stuff, the better as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, exactly. That's that's always been my mission. And so every time I go to Iraq and see these, even journalists younger than me, who spend $800 a day on a fixer, they saved up money to go make a name for themselves, they pay money for a hotel, they're there for two weeks, and they can't. they take incredible photos... Or video but they can't they can't make their return back so um i i do think it, the freelance market for the news world is you know hurting and you know so i would like to help on that part yeah yeah well when you if you can come up with the netflix for news count me in i'm there with you buddy i want i want to be part of that multi-million dollar industry <laughs> brilliant well look mate thanks so much for joining us and just finally how can people get hold of you if anyone has any follow-up questions or wants to hire you for a project yeah um they can go to our website um it's freelancesociety.co.co um and we have an email and phone number right there which will pretty much go directly to me and then my email is on the about page of the website um, and they can even Facebook message us or Instagram direct message us. So it's only about five of us. And so we're pretty responsive. Um, and yeah, we enjoy it. So Fantastic. Well, look, I've really enjoyed today and uh, I've learned a lot from it. So thanks a lot, Dylan. That's great. So thanks for listening to the first ever Image Junkies podcast. I really enjoyed that interview with Dylan and I hope you found it as interesting as I did. And mainly thanks to you guys for listening. If you liked it, please subscribe, please share it with your friends and I'll see you next week.